Our reading this morning is taken from Matthew 9, starting at verse 35, going into Matthew 10, verse 8. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus called his twelve disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon the zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. This is God's word. Please do keep that passage open in your Bibles. We're thinking this morning with a theme from this passage of the constant compassion of Jesus and his mission in the world. Let me pray one more time as we open up God's word together this morning. Let's pray with these words from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Father, we pray, please, the message and preaching today would come not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that our faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Amen. Every year I plough through the annual reports and accounts of all the main mission agencies in the UK kind of rock and roll lifestyle mission agency leaders tend to live week by week. Um, It might sound pretty uninspirational to you, uh, but I do it for a reason, and it's this, to try and get a handle on where is the UK church at when it comes to sending people into cross-cultural mission. Here, for example, is an interesting stat from my last stint, crunching the numbers for nine of the well-known UK interdenominational mission agencies. Between 2016 and 2021, The number of missionaries sent by UK churches with those agencies, it went down by 14%. For one of the agencies, numbers were down by a third in just five years. Only two of the agencies reported an increase in the number of mission partners serving with them. Now, of course, there are all sorts of caveats you might want to make as you read out the stats like that. We've lived through a pandemic, of course, during those years. 
We rejoice that God is raising up workers from all around the world church. We'll hear a bit more about that this evening. We praise God for that reality. But the general picture, what we sense is the trend, seems to be backed up by the numbers we're seeing. UK churches appear to be sending fewer people into cross-cultural mission service around the world today. Friends, here's a question. I wonder what do we make of that? What do we make of that? Some, of course, might say, well, look, of course, there are so many gospel needs in our own backyard that it's right that we focus in on the gospel need close to home. Others, maybe while they feel the pressures of the day, maybe they wince slightly at the idea of sending people around the world, giving all of the the history we look back on, perhaps the charges of cultural imperialism in mission history. And yet in our passage for today, Jesus says the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. He, said the need, he says the need for more workers is both plain and pressing. He says workers are needed from all nations, for all nations. And that far from that being an oppressive or an unkind thing to be doing, this call to send is, is rooted in a deep, deep compassion and love. So we're thinking today about how we might recover some confidence to send in mission offer. Perhaps for many of you, how you might keep on with that strong conviction you already have to send people in mission service? How might those convictions be shaped? How might they be strengthened? Well, keep your Bibles open here, please, to Matthew 9, 35 to 38. I wonder what your reaction is when you're faced with a huge crowd of people. Crowds can leave us feeling all sorts of things, can't they? Sometimes elation or excitement, other times fear or frustration. I think about my first time living in Indonesia as a single guy in my early to mid-twenties, um, feeling quite homesick one evening, I thought, right, I'm going to get a taste of home. So I went right in the city center to the huge branch of McDonald's that was there. I went there. It was vast. There was this huge sea of people all across this massive, big open space. I stood about a foot taller than most of them. I looked across this sea of people, and in that crowd, I just felt so alone. I didn't know a soul. Then maybe what your experience might be like this. You've got the late night music from a party a few doors down. That kind of crowd is you're just feeling a bit annoyed. Or there's the event that's overcrowded and in that situation you're feeling a bit scared or vulnerable because of that huge group of people. It's interesting, isn't it? As we think about crowds and groups of people, um, we're often thinking about our reaction. How does it leave us feeling? Yet when Jesus encountered the crowds, his response, his feeling was primarily about the people and not himself. In verse 35 of chapter 9, take a look, we have a summary of Jesus' ministry that's been described in the previous four chapters of Matthew's gospel. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and illness. Do you see, he's been to every town, every village. One of the commentators reckons as many as three million people in that region. And everywhere he went, we're told, the crowds came. As he went through Galilee, back in chapter 4, verse 25, crowds followed him. As he comes down from the mountain, chapter 8, verse 1, crowds followed him. As he taught in the synagogues and as he preached to the crowds, so we're told he healed every disease and illness. In chapters 5 to 9, it's remarkable. You see Jesus, he healed the mutes the leper and all who were ill. He handled pain and paralysis, blindness and bleeding, demon possession, even death itself. And the crowds, they just kept coming. The need was overwhelming. Yet do we see Jesus' response? It was always, always the same. 
Verse 36, when he saw the crowds, that is, in a sense, reflecting on all of that activity of the last four chapters. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. He had compassion on them. That is, his heart went out to them. Literally, he had this gut-wrenching concern and compassion for them. We see why as we read on there in verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. Like sheep without a shepherd. Yes, of course, Jesus is moved here in chapter 9 by the illness and disease. But in a, in a sense, those things represent a deeper affliction, don't they? People who are harassed and helpless. In a situation of distress, they cannot get themselves out of. And when Jesus sees them like this, he has compassion on them. He's moved by this reality. He says the people are like sheep without a shepherd. This, this picture, this idea of people being like sheep, of course, is taken from the Old Testament as a way of describing the failed leadership of God's people in the Old Testament days. Listen, for example, to this from Ezekiel 34. Words, I'm sure, familiar to many of you. Here are words describing the failed leadership of the day. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You've not strengthened the weak or healed those who are ill or bound up the injured. You've not brought back the strays or searched for the lost You've ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. Harassed and helpless. My people were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them as jesus saw the crowds that is what he saw a people in need of life and hope and rest yet led by a people who were pointing those people away from those very things away from the very place where they find them the kingdom of god see that so strikingly in the verse just before our passage chapter 9 verse 34 remember jesus had been preaching and he's been teaching and healing the crowds have been amazed Yet what did the shepherds of the day say? Did they encourage people to Jesus and his kingdom? Did they point them to life and hope and rest? Verse 34. But the Pharisees said it's by the prince of demons that he drives out out demons. The leaders had failed. The people were helpless. And so Jesus was filled with compassion. Someone has defined compassion like this, an emotional response which always results in caring action. An emotional response that always results in caring action. I guess that definition might help us a bit to understand the word, but it's not really enough, is it, to describe the enormity of what Jesus had come to do. You see, Ezekiel 34 goes on to speak of God dealing with the failed false leaders of the day. He removes them. In Ezekiel 34, 15, we read this. I myself will tend my sheep 
and make them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. I will shepherd the flock with justice. You see, friends, here in Matthew's gospel, Jesus is not simply moved in the moments. No, his compassion is consistent. His love, eternal. His plan, immovable. He's come to be this great shepherd who would lay down his life for the sheep, that the sinner might be saved, that the lost might be found, that the harassed might find rest. And you know, we see here in Matthew's gospel that a remarkable part of God's eternal plan is for Jesus to invite his disciples into that plan. That having rescued the sheep, Jesus calls them to participate in his mission to the nation. The 12 disciples, of course, have had the heads up about this back in chapter 4, verse 19. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And now that particular time has come for them here in chapter 10, verse 1. Notice as I read it, the language used here for what they will do echoes the language used for what Jesus has been doing. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and illness and we read on and we see as they heal the sick chapter 10 verse 7 they're to proclaim the same message that the kingdom of heaven has come near in chapter 10 here the disciples are sent to the lost sheep of israel there in verse 6 but then later of course chapter 28 the scope widens as jesus commands people to make disciples of all nations Friends, this is really important for us to grasp, okay? Can we see the compassion of Christ has implications for our calling, what we do in life, as much as it does for our salvation? The compassion of Jesus Christ has implications for our calling as much as it does for our salvation. So in light of Christ's compassion, well, what might that calling look like? What are we to think about the mission before us? How are we to get involved in it? Well, let's think about three implications of Jesus' compassion for our involvement in mission today. First, friends, as we reflect on the constant compassion of Jesus Christ, let's grow in our confidence to serve in mission. Let's grow in our confidence to serve in mission. I guess there'll be some of you here today, and God has been moving your heart about mission work for for months, maybe years, But there's always been something holding you back. Maybe you think you're just not good enough. Or your compassion isn't consistent enough. And as you hear about Jesus and his constant compassion interacting uh, with every crowd in every town in every village. Well, you know your heart. You know what it's like. There's not constant compassion. No, your love for the lost, like mine, it blows hot and cold. When we served in Indonesia, we experienced that often. There were times when compassion was our response to the the things we saw before us. As we walked past yet another mosque, we'd see all the sandals and shoes of those who'd gone in to worship. Hundreds of them, sometimes thousands. And on occasion, on those moments, we'd be moved to tears. Realizing people were longing, longing to find the things that everyone in our world longs to find, but they were looking in all the wrong places. Yet on other occasions, if we're honest, in the same place... Among the same people, compassion was not our response. Sometimes it was frustration with part of the culture or anger about an injustice that we saw. 
Friends, what do we do when faced with our own weaknesses? What do we do when confronted at times with our lack of compassion? Answer, we look to the one full, full of compassion. You know, the word for compassion used here in Matthew 9, the commentators tell us it's only ever used for Jesus. We can never match him in this. More friends, does he ask us to? He knows the depths of our hearts. He knows our weaknesses and our struggles. He knows our love for the lost blows hot and cold. And yet he invites us on this mission anyway. We see it so beautifully here in our passage with the 12. They're listed for us in chapter 10, verses 2 to 4. Then look what happens after that list. Verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent out. These 12. I mean, have a think about that for a moment. They were a pretty mixed bag, wouldn't you say? One of them is going to betray him. One of them will talk a good game, but deny him. They'll show selfishness and self-importance. They'll get annoyed with the crowds and the kids. At times, they'll turn people away from Jesus. Yet these 12, these 12 are the ones Jesus chooses to send. Friends, do we get the point here? Our mission service is about him. It's not about us. He's to be the focus because he filled with constant compassion, is the only hope for the harassed and helpless. He alone is the great shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. Which means, friends, if you know your weakness, if you feel your wavering compassion, well, then you are just the kind of person to send in mission. Because you know yourself full well what others so desperately need. A shepherd for the lost, a savior for the sinner. And you know, friends, if we can get this on board, if we're clear about this in our minds, that it's all about him and not about us, what confidence we have then to serve in God's mission around the world. We can stop worrying about our own weakness and we can start rejoicing in his power. When we see people lost, we can share the great shepherd. When we see people helpless, we share the great helper. When we struggle to care, we have the one who is full of constant compassion. Friends, God is not looking for workers who think they've got it all together. He's looking for ordinary people. These 12 kind of people who will lay down their lives, who will relinquish their rights, and who in faith simply will follow him. So friends, as we reflect on the constant compassion of Christ, there's our first implication. We ought to grow in our confidence when it comes to mission. Here's the second implication of the constant compassion of Jesus. Let's grow in our compassion for the lost. Never forget a time a few years ago, I was driving up the M1 late at night. We were based in Nottingham in those days. I was with a Chinese course mate. We both had a pharmacy background. We'd both been sent by our workplaces to do some more management studies. And uh, I was taking my Chinese friend, Gary, up the M1 to the northeast, to Northumberland, for a, a placement for him during his Easter holidays. It's a long journey, and as the journey went on, the evening drew in, so the conversation deepened. We got on to the big questions of life, the universe, and everything. He said something in the car that has stuck with me ever since. It was very, very, very honest of him. He said, Michael, when I think about these things, I just feel so lost. I feel so lost. In verses 37 and 38 of Matthew 9, the metaphor used, it changes from sheep and shepherds to the harvest. 
and workers. And we read verse 37 that Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Don Carson commenting on this verse says, this is Jesus seeking to awaken a similar compassion in his disciples. That is, yes, as we've seen, we can never match the constant compassion of Jesus. But as his people, we are to be moved by the reality that people are harassed and helpless. That they're lost like sheep without a shepherd. We're to be reminded that for every Gary or for every colleague in your office or course mate in your class, there are millions more who are just as lost, longing for rest and hope and peace. Yet as they search for it, they never find it. As they scroll through their social media accounts, there's just this hollowness. As they chase so many dreams, ultimately there's an emptiness. As they grapple with so many regrets, there's just this strong sense of guiltiness. And so it goes on. Friends, as we see the pain and the heartache in people's lives, as we see the struggle with sin, as we observe the consequences of broken lives lived in a broken world, As we see the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few, our hearts, well, they should be moved, shouldn't they? Move to compassion because more than anything else, people, they need the Lord. No one else can satisfy. No one else can forgive. No one else can save. John Piper put it like this. Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven and the alternative is hell. And millions and millions of people are on their way there and we have the only means of escape in our heads and our hearts. Jesus Christ. Friends, would God move us? Would he move us once again? Would he help us to look at the crowd in some small sense as Jesus did and have compassion on people? And you know, as we're moved by the lostness of people, let's also be moved by the scale of the task. When we came back from Indonesia after a year back in our sending church in Nottingham, we had to move to be near the UFM office in Swindon. Uh, We ended up moving to a small town called Marlborough. Good friends of ours were involved in a a new church plant down there. We joined them. It was quite the transition. Large Asian megacity to small, sleepy English market town. Um, I soon realized most of the people uh, living there loved the fact it was small. They loved the fact it was semi-rural. Maybe some of you guys feel the same here in Long Crendon. When you drive into Marlborough from Swindon on the road, there's a sign on the side there saying Marlborough Charter 1204. The idea being, I think, we're to be impressed by the fact this place has been there 800 years and it's still largely unspoiled. Whereas the way my mind works, I'm thinking 800 years. Is this all you've got to show for it? 10,000 people. You've not even got a McDonald's yet. Like, What on earth have you been doing for all these centuries? Somewhat more seriously, it's soon going to be 2,000 years since Jesus gave his church a great commission to make disciples of all nations. We praise God. We praise God for the progress there's been, for the sacrificial service of so many who've come before. But we should be unsettled, shouldn't we? That 2,000 years after Jesus gave us this great commission, there are 1,700 peoples that are unengaged in the world. That is 1,700 people groups where no one has yet gone with a plan to plant a church. It's not that people have been going for years and people have just resisted receiving the gospel. No, no one's gone yet. No one's gone. In Indonesia, there are 36 of those people groups. The largest has a population the size of Edinburgh. And no one has yet gone with a plan 
to plant a church. Friends, the harvest is still plentiful. Still plentiful. Let's understand that. Let's be moved to compassion by that as we rejoice in the growth, wonderful, rapid growth of the church in many, many parts of the majority world. So many other parts still wait for someone to go with the good news of Jesus. So as we we reflect on the compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're to grow in our confidence in mission. We're to grow in compassion for the lost. Finally, friends, let's grow in our desire to see more workers sent. What does Jesus say here in verse 37? He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. It was true then, it's true today in many places. We praise God, he's raising up workers from all around the world church to serve a mission today. And yet, as we've heard earlier on, mission sending from the UK church seems to be in decline. That's in the face of 81.7% of people in the world not knowing a single Christian. Of deep gospel needs in places like Oman, where I heard recently that there are more branches of Starbucks than there are local believers. Places like northern Yemen, where there are probably 20 or 30 believers. The workers are few says Jesus. And the UK church still has a part to play in God's global purposes. Not because we think we've got all the answers or we've got loads of experience from the past. Not because we have all the resources or all the authority when it comes to mission. Quite, quite the opposite. As Paul put it in 1 Corinthians, we are only servants. We're to serve humbly in mission, in partnership with missionaries from all around the world. But to put it plainly, the UK church must continue to send because Jesus has commanded every part of his church to do so. The responsibility to send, therefore, will be there until Jesus Christ comes again. So we can't just sit back and think, well, we did our bit in the past. Look at all the famous mission biographies. Look at all the the mission hymns we're still singing, written by the Brits back in the day. We can't think, well, let's outsource this mission business to other countries around the world. A bit like we might do with our IT department at work. Maybe it'd be cheaper. No, friends, this responsibility remains. The privilege persists. The harvest is still plentiful. The workers are still few. So where do we go from here? You know, in the face of all the stats and the urgency of the situation, the temptation is to come up with a plan to somehow manufacture the people that we need. Yet Jesus has something very, very simple to say about the need for more workers. Again, it's something that takes the focus away from ourselves and back onto him. Have a look at verse 38. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. You don't need a commentary to interpret that verse, do you? Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Friends, the call here is simply to pray, to get on our knees. Acknowledging the workers are his. The harvest is his. Lord, would you send out workers into the harvest? It's a great reminder, isn't it, about the importance of senders in God's mission around the world. It's right that some go. We need people to go. But will God raise up more senders? Praise the God. We praise the Lord for the senders. Clearly, there are in this church here. People willing to pray. People ready to send. We'll think more about this important ministry this evening. You know, when this prayer is prayed, it seems to be answered. 
striking here in Matthew 9 that Jesus asks the disciples to pray for more workers. Just a few verses on, they become the answer to that prayer. So some of you pray for more workers, be prepared to go. And as others of you pray for more workers, be prepared to send, to really send. Because in his time and in his way, God will answer these prayers. He will raise people up, people you know, people you love, people you will miss terribly in the life of the church. You've been through this process a number of times, I know. People you will send to the lost and to the least, the helpless and the hopeless, some of whom will pay a heavy, heavy price. You see, as chapter 10 unfolds and as Jesus prepares to send the 12 on mission, he speaks of some of the costs that they'll face. Material sacrifices, rejection, opposition, persecution, imprisonment. Friends, are we willing to send people into situations where that is what will be faced? You know, that's the reality in many of the unengaged parts of the world today. There's a reason people have not yet gone there in number. I heard a talk recently where the speaker described people in places like that as being the inconvenient lost. They're hard to get to. You might not be very welcome when you get there. Let's pray for workers for places like that. We mentioned Oman a few moments ago. Uh, The guy who shared their story about Starbucks. uh, He talked about visiting a family serving there. Uh, He described the scene of a young mum feeding breakfast to the family. A toddler was there having Cheerios for breakfast, all in the hair, all that kind of stuff. The normal breakfast scene. Then the guy who was visiting the missionaries went over to the kitchen of the apartment these guys were staying in. And he saw the mum had written on the white tiles above the sink. Something, a very short little statement in beautiful a calligraphy. She'd written this. It's wartime. It's wartime. Here's a family who knew the cost, and for the sake of Christ, they embraced it. Friends, the prayer that Jesus asks us to pray here in verse 38 is a serious prayer to pray, but it's the only way we'll see the workers that are needed that the gospel might go to the nations. We thought then today, haven't we, about the constant compassion of Jesus and what that means for our implication in mission today. As we rejoice in the wonderful, beautiful compassion of Jesus, let's grow in our confidence to serve in mission. It's all about him. It's not about us. Let's grow in our love for the lost because more than anything else, people need the Lord. And let's grow in our desire for more workers. Let's get on our knees and pray them in. Let's pray together. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the beautiful, constant compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that he looked across the crowd and saw people lost like sheep without a shepherd, knowing very, very well that he had come to be that great shepherd who would lay down his life for the sheep. We thank you, Lord, for the salvation that is ours if we have turned from our sin and put our trust in him. But we thank you too this morning, you've reminded us of the implications of that compassion, not just for our salvation, but for our calling, for our service in mission. Lord, please would you help us to grow in confidence as we serve in mission, being reminded it's ultimately all about you and not about ourselves. Thank you, you use us in our weakness to demonstrate your power to a watching world. Lord, we pray please that you would move our hearts for the lost. And we pray please you would hear our earnest prayer that you would go on raising up workers for the harvest fields close to home and around the world. We thank you for the way those prayers have been answered here over the years. Thank you for those that have been sent and are supported today. Thank you for all the seeds 
uh, gospel seeds that have been sown. Lord, we pray, please, that we'd remain confident the harvest is still to come. And we pray, please, that you might continue to move hearts today, that you would raise up a new generation of workers to be sent, willing to lay down their lives in, in obedience simply to follow the Lord Jesus. Encourage those who send, we pray today, in their ministry here. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.